I'm Eddie Michelson. I'm Lucas Anderson. And this is Go Walk Yourself, episode 9. Episode 9, we made it through we 9 episodes. to 9 episodes. Lucas, isn't it interesting how if you know someone's views on taxes, you can predict <laughs> their views on abortion? Like, what is that about? That's our screwed up political ideology that in is, this country. Everyone, my message to you today, stop being co- cookie cutter, get interesting, have weird views on guns while also having weird views on taxes. And then we're going to become like Change Europe. Up a bit. We're going to become like Europe and have like 19 different parties. Oh, and yeah. Then we'll have coalition governments. And then oh, freaking God. Angela Merkel will find her way into power in the United States. That's coming up. Um, so <laughs> In <laughs> episode 10, we'll talk about <laughs> Angela Merkel. Uh. Lucas, Cohen Raid, let's hear it. Yeah. So Trump's personal lawyer on monday fbi agents raided the home and hotel room of trump's personal lawyer the fbi agents were seeking details on his relationship with the trump campaign and efforts to suppress suppress negative information i.e it's stormy time stormy time his relationship with the trump campaign and oh wait i already read that um Prosecutors are interested in whether Mr. Cohen, who had no official role in the 2016 campaign, coordinated with the campaign to quash the release of anything detrimental, i.e. stormy time, and whether that violated campaign finance laws. Eddie, I don't know if you remember, I think it was Edwards. He got in trouble because a lawyer paid someone off. You know who Cohen reminds me of? Who? He reminds me of, like, Saul Goodman from Breaking Bad. (laughs) He's kind of like Trump's Saul Goodman. Well, and you know what's funny is... Cohen has, like, a reputation of nobody wanting to hire him, yep. even before Trump hired him. He was, like, a no-name well, He's always lawyer. been Trump's, like, guy, you know? Yeah, like he that, He's the guy who, like, who we can count on to, like, clean up his little messes, uh, but now he's getting raided. Uh, what does this mean, Lucas? It doesn't mean much. Uh, <laughs> well, we don't really know what they found yet. Yeah. The problem is it's leading to this whole mess. Uh, MSNBC reported tonight that if Rosenstein is getting fired, he's getting fired in the next 24 hours. All right. And it's because Trump is pissed because Mueller didn't sign off on this. Um, Mueller recommended it to the Department of Justice. Rosenstein signed off on it. You know who I think is next to? Who? Is Sessions. Really? I think think Trump's pissed that he recused himself still. And I think... think when this uh, starts to get a little further, I think Trump's going to get pissed and say, Sessions, you're out. Well, Sessions was one of his first supporters, but Trump can't stand the guy yeah, now. No, he really can't. But so Rosenstein, because Sessions is recused, Rosenstein is in charge of whether to keep Mueller or fire Mueller. Mm-hmm. If he replaces Rosenstein with someone who will fire Mueller, then he, that person can fire Mueller. If Trump does it, it's almost immediate obstruction of justice charges. So he can't do it. Sessions doesn't have the authority to do it. Rosenstein is all that's in the way. So now he's double mad at Rosenstein. Rosenstein is protecting Mueller, and Rosenstein signed off on what Trump considered a violation of his attorney-client privilege, which it actually isn't, because that attorney-client privilege doesn't stand if you are committing a crime with your lawyer. Well, here's what I think is going to happen. All right, so um, Trump said something about Jeff Sessions recently about him recusing himself and how he thought that was a really bad idea. What I think he's going to do is he's going to walk into Sessions' office He's gonna just roll up a joint. And he's gonna he's gonna reach it. He's gonna reach out and say, "Hey, try and, this." And Sessions is just gonna walk out. He's gonna, like, I, can't he's gonna do it. I can't do it. So that's gonna happen. All right. Well, that's the boring news of the day. Eddie is literally. You're becoming so close to having to shriek the quad. If you didn't listen to episode two or three or whatever it was, Eddie agreed to shriek the quad if Trump goes down for Russian collusion. Now think about how much smoke there is right now. If there's that much smoke, there's bound to be a fire. And we are getting closer and closer to Trump. This is the first thing Mueller has investigated that's directly connected to Trump. And here's my secret all along. 
I wanted to straight the quad. <laughs> so, joke's on you, Lucas. All right, Zuckerberg um, educates old people about how to use Facebook. Um, this is really interesting to watch. Uh, we're gonna add. I, we're gonna add a clip of uh, of a couple funny moments from this. Um... So let's listen. <laughs> how do you sustain a business model in which users don't pay for your service, Senator? We run ads. I see. Here's what everybody's been trying to tell you today, and I, I, I say this gently. Your user agreement sucks. I'm going to suggest to you that you go back home and rewrite it. And tell your $1,200 an hour lawyers, no disrespect, they're good. But, but tell them you want it written in English, in non-Swahili, so the average American can understand it. That would be a start. Uh, are, are you willing to uh, expand my right to prohibit you from sharing my data? Senator, again, I believe that you already have that control. All right. Cool. All right. So after more than 10 hours of grilling Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, Congress is no closer to regulating the platform's privacy practices than it was when the hearing started. As you could probably hear from the clips we just showed, these guys don't know anything. Well, that's the problem. Congress is full of old white guys. Yep. Eddie. <laughs> Are either of your grandparents alive? That's a sensitive question. Yeah, no, no. I, my, Can they uh, use Facebook? My grandma's like 92 or something. Can she use Facebook? Nope. <laughs> yeah. And the people who cannot use Facebook are are trying to learn Facebook well enough to regulate it. I <laughs> while, well, during a hearing. Like, we use Facebook all the time, and I wouldn't know how to regulate it. And these old white dudes are trying to. But I think that their lack of understanding demonstrates how how much of a show this was supposed to be. It wasn't about, like, putting Zuckerberg up there to hold him accountable. It was that a lot of constituents think Zuckerberg should be held accountable, and none of these guys know the first step in regulating social media. And so this was just their well, way of... they don't of, even know how to open an account in the first place. They don't. And here's the thing about social media. I think we'll both agree on this. Um, I don't know. I love me some Facebook. Well, but that's the thing. I like it too. But we both agreed to sign up. We both agreed to share our information. We know what that entails. There's a user agreement that we agreed to. When you get your user agreement sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So when you sign up for social media, you kind of know, at least in the back of your mind, that they have that information stored somewhere. And whether or not they're using it. Uh, within like the with legal malice, realm, like that yeah. has yet to be determined, and like, there's a whole issue with Cambridge Analytica and whether or not they were acting within their legal well, bounds. And a lot of it was like a lot of the senators were asking the question of like almost painting Facebook as the middleman in the selling of this data. Yep. The whole issue here is we all put this data on an open market, and then companies like Cambridge Analytica harvested that data. Yep. Facebook was simply the platform. Facebook did not facilitate the the selling or giving of any data. We put the data there, Cambridge Analytica harvested it. Mm-hmm. Anyone could have done what Cambridge Analytica did. And that's and they the have thing. in the past too. Like they have. big data has been used since big data has been available for And Obama's campaigns. campaign was the first right? big campaign to do it. Yep. And like none of us batted an eye but like it's almost like like it's become like a fad to like hate on social media. We all signed up for it. And like 
when you put the pictures of you and your kids up there and you put your birthday <laughs> and you put where you were born and you update and what kind of weird shit you like yeah like and you you put all your interests like the TV shows you're into yep. like yep. Like, you're making that data public. Don't get mad at Mark Zuckerberg for inventing that platform. We all signed up for it. And that's right. and we kind of... And, and, and I, I refuse to believe these people who think, like, uh, in the way, like, oh, I don't want my information to get taken from the social media platform that I put it all on. We all kind of know if we are mm-hmm. at any in any way tech-savvy what it entails when they're collecting data. I mean, Facebook is a free platform. You can sign up for free. What do you think? How According do you think to Orrin Hatch, money? it's not free. <laughs> Advertise yeah, Hatch, um, look, buddy. <laughs> but, like, and, and that's the thing, is there is no expectation of privacy with social media. Right. Even you making an account private, you are still putting all that data online, and privacy is only for, like, set it, making your account private is only to keep, a, like, an ordinary person from getting your data. It is not going to keep anyone tech-savvy from getting that data you put out there. That might keep your average, everyday employer from getting your data, but that's not going to keep a company like Cambridge Analytica from getting your data. And for you to expect that is stupid. So you signed on. Like, we cannot override the value of a contract here. When you sign those terms of agreement, just because you were too lazy to read it, and that's your negligence. So you can't then blame Facebook. Like... We were the other person who signed the contract. And it's just, it makes me so mad. And, like, I'm glad that you and I agree on it because I think we're in the minority. No, I think uh, definitely when it comes to the fact, like, I I think we both agree a lot of this has to do in part with almost, like, I want to almost attribute this to sort of a free speech thing. I mean, like, this is a new platform where we can share uh, all kinds of information and stuff. But if you want to do it in a way that's not going to be... uh, you know, abused, or you got to be responsible, and you got to know what you're signing up for. When I go out and, uh, you know, talk to someone in a public setting, I don't have reasonable expectation of privacy, and the same thing applies when I'm online on a social media account. You don't have that reasonable expectation of privacy because you're essentially in a public place. Yeah, and and so it's, it's unreasonable for us to have a reasonable expectation of right. privacy there, and I think a lot of it is a generational gap. I think a lot of our generation, we also don't value privacy as much as former That's generations. That's absolutely true. Because we're digitally native, yep. whereas other generations were introduced to computers, we were brought up on computers. And that's and so, one thing I want to I, I want to just say is that for the new generation, the type of privacy that we might feel is being violated now, everyone else is on that same boat in our generation. Everyone, mm-hmm. or most, at least most people, have shared the same information that you and I have both shared and everyone, all of our peers have shared. So I think growing up in this generation of social media, everyone else is going to be on the same boat when it comes to privacy. And I think you're absolutely right. Privacy yeah. has not is not valued in the same way that it is to the older generation that are asking Mark Zuckerberg these questions. And and that's the thing, like, we were brought up in the age of the Patriot Act. We were born, a, most of us were born a year before the Patriot Act was signed. Like, I don't think that we have this whole, I'm afraid of big brother, big government kind of kind of feeling as everyone else. It's just the way we this were isn't brought up. not big government either. I mean, Facebook's a private company. And, and we all, all signed up for it. Yep, and we all signed up for it. We all agreed to well, it. And, and was that, when I met Eddie... And when, like, when Eddie and I first met, we went to this restaurant, and I was, like, asking him, what social media do you have? And he was like, I literally don't have any. <laughs> he had Snapchat, and so that's all we used. And was that part of it for you? Was a privacy thing, or was it... What was it? Well, 
I, had this, I, I mean, I've had social media in the past, so there's obviously, like, an archive somewhere of, like, my social media oh, really? history. Um, it, it, I just kind of had a, a... There was a phase I had where I had sort of a gripe against just the idea of social media and everyone sharing every a- aspect of You wrote an lives. article about it. Yeah, right. I wrote an article about it for my school newspaper in we'll high school. We'll make that available on Twitter. Right. It's called <laughs> There's Nothing Social About Social Media. <laughs> But, I mean, since then, I've sort of, like, you know, come back to social media, and, like, I, I'm on Facebook, and, you know, that sort of, and Twitter. Uh, you can follow me, Eddie Michelson. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's really just a preference thing for me. It's not really, like, a privacy thing, because, again, our generation doesn't have privacy. We don't. And I don't expect us to, really, given what we've grown up in. We live in a connected world. Yeah. It's as simple as and, that. I mean, it, it, it has its costs and benefits, I think it has probably more benefits than cost because I'm we glad are you very think that. No, I, I do. I, I think the fact that we're sitting here talking um, about like our views on politics and connecting on that, and then we're able to share that on a bunch of different platforms and everyone's able to listen and maybe yep. like if they find it interesting, they can share it with their friends, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's very useful and very valuable. And if you use it right, it's a very powerful thing. So I have no gripes uh, really with... The idea behind social media, there are some, obviously, problems I have with it. I mean, if you're just sitting there on Instagram posting pictures of your dessert, like, go walk yourself. <laughs> Food point. But, but other than that, yeah, if you're using it right, I have no I have no issues with it. So, I, I in our local Virginia Beach Democratic Committee, uh, we had this issue where our newly elected chairwoman um, got a lot of... Uh, a lot of people were mad because we found pictures from anywhere from 2011 to 2016 of her whining and dining with Republicans. She was going to Republican campaign victory mm-hmm. parties, stuff like that. And in her her speeches and stuff, she had claimed she was a lifelong Democrat. Well, I was one of the people that shared all these pictures. And, and a lot of people got mad at me. And then they turned around and they found a picture of me standing behind a podium for my Republican congressman at a fundraiser for him for a high school internship. Yeah. And I have no ability to get mad at them for finding that picture because I put it on social media. And when I decided I wanted to get really involved in democratic politics, I was never a Republican. It was simply a high school internship. But when I decided I wanted to get really into democratic politics, I got rid of any, any of that stuff. Not because I didn't want to be honest about it, but because I knew taken out of context, people would take advantage of that picture. Um, But I have, because I forgot to make one of them private, I have absolutely no grounds to get mad at the people who are sharing that picture right now. And there are people who are sharing that picture of me because they're mad that I went after their chairwoman. And, but... like she's mad that I that we went back in her Facebook and found these pictures. I understand that I can't get mad about that because even making stuff private, it's still there, and someone probably but you're has not it. alone in that because this happens all the time. Yeah. Since again, like the social media uh, generation that we live in, people find stuff from years ago all the time. They're always pulling stuff out, and at this point, it's nothing new. We all have something that we've posted in the past that can always be dragged out and can be used against us. And really, I don't think it's shocking to anyone at this point. And that's kind of how we're growing up, too. As as our generation grows up, there's always going to be someone, if we're in any way in the public eye, they're going to look through everything. And they're going to try to find something. And this has always been sort of true with people who are in the public eye, that their old records will be pulled out and what they've said in the past. But it's even more so now because we share everything. But I I think it's going to get less and less shocking as as, uh, things move forward. What I want to get your opinion on, though, is what do you think about 
Trump or other Facebook uh, accounts or Twitter accounts or any social... What do you think about public figures blocking people on social media? So I come from a district where my congressman, he has two separate Facebook pages. He has Congressman Scott Taylor and he has Scott Taylor. He does that intentionally because Congressman Scott Taylor, the law does not permit him to block constituents. Oh, really? It's, it's actually official- illegal? Yes. Oh, or it's at least outside of Facebook's policies, but mm-hmm. I'm 99% sure it is against the law wow. because it's considered a form of censorship of your own constituents. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. So he has his the page he really uses is his Scott Taylor page. It's his candidate page. He can block so however like a much personal as, it's, page. Sort it's of? not personal, but it's his campaign page oh, okay. compared to his election. And he's allowed page. to block people on that. And he blocks What's people the like difference crazy. Between so the two? Trump has POTUS. Mm-hmm. And then Trump has oh, real okay. Donald Trump. So he can't Trump. block on POTUS, but he can mm-hmm. block on Donald Trump. He cannot Trump. block on POTUS, but he can block on real Donald Trump. Okay. And that's the difference. And and I don't I don't know if I agree with that. Um, one of our candidates back home, she had this issue where a video of her sawing a gun in half went viral on like guns.com, and so all these people were attacking her. She started blocking them. I think that the where you draw the line is using you have to use Facebook's new feature that tells someone if you're a constituent or not i do not think any constituent should be blocked on official pages or candidate pages well there's also the other aspect that if you're blocked on an account it's still very public you can still go on and see what they're yeah. saying that's i mean and that's, a, that's another thing to consider but i think it's just a bad look if you're the president of the united states and, you and block you're blocking people. random people especially on <laughs> when, it be- when it becomes a trophy for liberals like a lot right. of liberals their twitter header they put in their bio is actually. that blocked like, by real donald trump blocked by my econ professor is famous on twitter at daniel lynn and oh, what a guy what a guy but he he's blocked by donald trump i'm pretty sure and it has become a trophy for liberals because it's so pathetic i mean and I don't think Republicans are the only ones doing it. They're the only ones I've encountered doing it. But I'm sure there are Democrats doing it, oh, too. Oh, there's tons of journalists who will block people. And journalists, then, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. There's plenty of journalists um, from, like, you know, BuzzFeed, Huffington uh-huh. Post, you know, all kinds of stuff. Journalists? Are you sure you want to call them journalists? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, I would refrain from using that term. But, yeah, and, and Republicans and conservatives do the same thing. They say, blocked by in their bio, and it becomes a badge of honor almost. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really interesting how this whole blocked thing, it, you, the aim is to get blocked by people you disagree with. Yeah. Okay, so I want to come back to our last point about how, like, our generation is going to have so much more to dig up. Think about with Obama. Obama's big dirt they dug up when he was a kid was that he smoked weed. And <gasps> he, I did a little blow. A little blow! I did a little blow. <laughs> um, but, like... Because there's no fuel, because with past generations, there's so much less of a trace of your history, whereas everything from the second I was born, because we are digitally native, like, everything, there's a trace of me digitally from the time I was born onwards. There's going to be so much more to dig up. Some Instagram accounts for their infant children, too, now. Yeah, it, my niece and nephew, I'm pretty sure, have them. Yep. And, like, like... I have felt the need that when I get out of college and start in, like, the professional world, I feel like I need to delete my social media and start over. And I know that doesn't get rid of it forever. Like, that data's still there somewhere. But, like, it's, yeah, it's making it, like, but, like, that's crazy to me that we have to worry about that. There's going to be so much more more material to dig up. I don't even know if we have to worry about it, though, because, like I said before, as our generation grows up, there's going to be so much information about us that are that's already out there 
And look, when if I pulled up a picture of you from, you know, middle school and sixth grade smoking weed, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I post that online, I'm like, hey, go walk yourself, ho. I'm sorry, co-host, co-host. Uh, smoking weed. <laughs> Uh, no one's gonna, no one's gonna give a shit because everyone else has pictures of them from sixth that's grade true. smoking weed too. The bar is set a lot lower. Exactly, and that's the privacy thing. And I think right now we're in a weird gray area because there's the older generation that cares about it because they think, oh my god, this is a bombshell yeah. of this younger person who had social media doing some he crazy did a stuff. Blow. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> which actually, I think that's that's an important thing too. Is that if you're the person uh, yourself to come forward and say look, I did this, you put yourself in a much better position than deleting something yes. and then it coming out later. I, I want to harp on that. So one of, I'm sorry I keep bringing it back to local politics, it's just it's what I can like attest to. One of our congressional candidates voted for the incumbent, Congressman Scott Taylor, because she didn't like the Democratic candidate and he was a fellow uh, military member, and so she just trusted him, and 62% of the district trusted him, so she voted for him. And then, but she didn't tell anyone that. And then an investigative journalist went in and got her in a corner so she had to admit to it. If I were her comms person, in her, the first line of her mm-hmm. announcement speech would have said, in 2016, I trusted Congressman Scott Taylor and I voted table. for yeah. him. And that's why I'm running against him. Instead, now she has to hide from it, and it's going to be her opponent's fuel when she wins the primary. Every single one of his ads is going to be, she voted for me. Whereas if she put it in her announcement speech, it would have been way different. And that's what I think about with that local party chairwoman, is if she would have just, instead of calling herself a lifelong Democrat, just said to us, yeah, Trump made me change party affiliations, I would have felt way differently about her. It's the fact she lied. And obviously, I mean, this has its limits, because if... The Make America Great Again hats instead said "Grab him by the pussy." I think that would that wouldn't be beneficial to Trump, and that video is inexcusable. And you know, I don't think there's any way to get around that. But in general, if you have something that sort of might come out and might be used against you, if you just come out and say, "Hey, look, this is my past. I've changed my views or I've changed my ways, etc., cetera, etc.," cetera, then people can't really use it against you because then they seem like the asshole when they come out and they say, well, look at this guy. And it's like, yeah, you've, he's already addressed that. He wrote a book well, about it or whatever. The first, whenever I meet new Democratic candidates, it's the first thing I tell them. I said, you know, I'm going to tell you this. I worked for Republicans all through high school because there was no blue wave when we were in high school. If you lived in a Republican area, it was Republican and every elected mm-hmm. official was Republican. So I worked for some of the Republican elected officials. Um, and so it's the first thing I generally tell them because I believe that. I believe if you get out in front of it and you frame it the right way, then you're good to go. If you wait for your opponents to frame it... like and they get to frame it however they mm-hmm. want to and they can make as big of a deal of it as they want. Yeah, when I was 14, my little I'm a socialist comments, like, <laughs> if I come out and say, oh, I was naive in 14, I thought that communism was great, that, I didn't think that. I, I'm unconvinced that you've changed that view, but... <laughs> <laughs> I am not a commie. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. I don't know. All right, well, I We think, talked about that a long time. Yeah, no, that, that's good. It I was think, good. I think this is a really interesting topic that is going to come up over and over again, and I think it'll keep getting more and more relevant with new elections, both local and, um, you know... Eddie, uh, what's in the outline for you to say at the end of this segment? At the end of this segment? Yeah. Well, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, it's also apparent that nobody in the Senate knows what the <laughs> fuck Facebook is and how it works. They just don't. They don't. Let's let's do let's let's do something. Uh, if if anyone in Congress 
or in the Senate is listening to this, I want you to get Warren Hatch in a room, and I want you to put a computer Beat in front him of him up. and ask him to open up a Facebook account and just watch the magic happen. Just see what happens. Am I going to have to pay for a membership? <laughs> ads, that's, Senator. Yep, that's, ads. that's called ads. All right, let's talk about uh, America's daddy. Paul... We called Ryan. Mitt Romney daddy a few weeks ago. And now this, we're calling Paul Ryan daddy Paul because Ryan's he deserves daddy. that title. <sighs> well, he won't be... Uh, he won't be taking away money from poor people and wow. healthcare from poor people anymore. Back to the communist thing, I see. We're already back to that. Um, yeah, no, Paul Ryan is not going to be seeking re-election. Uh, he's gone. Goodbye, Paul. Uh, what, what do you think about this? I think... Right now, he's in a bad place to run for president, although I will not rule out the possibility of him doing so, because he has alienated traditional conservatives who don't like Trump and Trumpians alike. Yeah, so so Eddie and I talked about this the other night. Romney's, I mean, not Romney, Ryan has always wanted <laughs> <Daddy>. to be, <laughs> it's our two daddies, that yep. was the daddy ticket. Yeah. Okay, but so was Joe Biden and Obama. <laughs> That was just the daddy. <laughs> okay, anyways. So, Eddie and I talked about this. Nikki Haley has done a very good job. She, Nikki Haley was establishment as establishment comes. But she did a very good job when she became ambassador to the UN of oh. being establishment, sticking to her principles, but also not pissing off the Trump base. She's managed to do both. She has so well. I love her. I mean, I think she's said horrible things and done horrible things. But for a Republican from that standard, I love her. Oh, gosh, someone just slammed someone the door. Someone down the hall needs to calm down. Someone needs to calm down. That's... Okay, but anyways. <laughs> um, and, like, but Paul Ryan attempted to do the same thing. He attempted to stick to that principled conservative ideology. He tried. He tried. I'm going to emphasis tried because I'm going to argue that he didn't do a very good job. <laughs> not the way that Nikki Haley has. He hasn't. He's <laughs> failed at it. He has absolutely failed. The Trump base hates him. They think he is just the face of everything they hate about politics. Right there with Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton. Yes, he's categorized with them by Trumpers. But then he is also, like, he's left us behind as traditional conservatives mm -hmm. because he's sort of, um, I don't know how to phrase this, but he's, he's sort of capitulated to the Trumpian agenda in a way he's still i think he's still a policy guy and he really does care about policies but when it's come to saying hey look this is the party of trump now i'm just going along with it i'm along for the ride i think he's paid the price for that in that he's gonna have a uh an uphill battle if he ever wants to run for president I think, yeah, I think he's really screwed himself over with this. Well, so here's what I see happening if he decides to run for president. Um, I see it following that same trek as Jeb. Jeb, exclamation mark. Oh, um, I think Jeb. he's going to raise billions of dollars and have a super PAC like nobody's ever seen before. And he's going to get stomped. And then his rallies are going to be empty. Mm. And he's going to have to tell people when to clap. <laughs> And he's going to have to resort to calling himself a Democrat just to get some people to show up. Because <laughs> Democrats don't work, so like they can always show up to rallies. It's a joke. Oh, God, that's going to come back to bite me. I like that one. Um, that's my one Republican line. Uh, <laughs> but, like, I think that's the course if, like, it's so far-fetched that he even considers running for president. But that's what a lot of people are saying. But he wants saying. to, and he always has, he has had that. I think he's always had that in the back of him. His mind where in, he's he's saying, one day I want to run for president. And then Trump comes along and he's like, what the fuck do I do? <laughs> and that's sort of where he is right now. And I I mean, he, he said that he wants to be with his family and, you know, he wants to turn to other uh, ambitions. But 
as far as a presidential run, I see it as unless the next election involves people who really want to return to the norm, and That's not gonna happen. He beca- I, I don't think so either. And Ryan is the face of that. I I just don't see his prospects because people want radical change. Yeah, from both sides. I mean, we saw it with the rise of Bernie Sanders. We saw it with the rise of Trump. Even someone like Ted Cruz. Yeah. Um. Who? Rand Paul. The Senate. Yeah. Rand Paul. I mean, all these people who have come up and said, "Look, guys, we know the establishment sucks." I, even though I've been in the Senate or I've been in Congress, I know the establishment sucks yeah. and I want to stand up to them. Uh, Paul Ryan has no way of saying that now. They don't hate Democrats or Republicans. They hate Washington. They hate this yep. swamp. Um, and, no, I think it's totally true. And, like, part of me is, like, I think Ryan is pretty terrified of this so-called blue wave in a sense of a lot of Democrats getting elected in 2018. Like, the DCCC is saying something like, like, if we were to just put the letter D on a lot of ballots and no, not have an opponent, like an actual candidate, that we could win in, like, 30-something seats. And, and we only and, need, and like, 24. Based on poll data, I actually believe that. I, I think Republicans are shaking in their boots right now because they don't know... Uh, I mean, obviously, it's always hard for a sitting president, like, when it comes to uh, congressional elections and um, Senate uh, yeah. elections. It's always hard for them because the sitting president... Oh, uh, usually they don't do well in, um, like midterms, but I think Republicans have a crossroads right now where they're asking themselves, do I stick with Trump knowing that it might be short lived or do I go back to my principles as a conservative or do I try to balance both like Paul Ryan did? Well, those Trump folks that didn't vote before Trump, they don't show up in midterms. They're not going to show up for these people. And so I think Paul Ryan is having this crisis where he knows a lot of Democrats are going to get elected. And tax reform was all he cared about. And really, he wants entitlement reform, but he knows he doesn't have time before November. <laughs> no one has time for that. And he knows that when when Democrats have a, basically a supermajority in the House which I don't even think is a real thing in the House, but, like, he's not going to be able to get entitlement reform done then, and so I think he just sees that this is the pinnacle of his career and he needs to get out. And then another thing, this is more of, like, the radical scenario. Democrats might impeach just for the hell of it. It's not hard to impeach a oh, president. Oh, yeah, no, I definitely and, believe they will. And the Senate's never going to convict. I mean, like, there's just it's just not going to happen. And so I think Democrats are going to impeach him in the House, He's not going to run again, and that's where Paul Ryan is going to see his his chance. But here's the thing. Here's a, here's sort of a theory. I want to know what you think about it. Okay. All right. Ten years down the line, who even knows where politics is going to be? Nikki Haley. From the ashes, yeah. Paul Ryan rises. And he As says, Reagan. Hey, the guys. Reagan. Exactly. And, he's, and he says, hey, guys, remember me? Like, I'm back. I'm back in politics. I'm ready to run. And what do you think about that? Do you think that's possible? Yes. And I think we talked about this in one of the first episodes, is if you look at history, when Nixon got impeached, it left room for Carter. And Carter was a less than decent president to a lot of people. And so then it left room for this new brand of golden conservatism, i.e. Ronald Reagan. I see the exact same thing happening. I think a Democrat's going to win in 2020. 
but then it's they're not going to be successful. And then in 2024, we're going to see one of these new characters like like, like Nikki oh, who Haley. Who knows? Well, I think Nikki Haley might be the future of the party. Maybe Ben Sass. I don't know if he's cut out I think for the president. Ben Sass, Mike Lee. I, I hope that that is the future of conservatism. I think it I will be. I don't know if it is at this point, but I... I I really do hope so. I, I don't think anyone can replace Trump. And so when Trump goes down oh, Trump in 2020, yeah. those people aren't going to show up for other Republicans on the ballot just because they showed up for Trump. And so, like, I, I think that that this principled conservatism will will have a, a, a comeback in 2024. I don't think they're going to win in 2020. I think you disagree with me on that about... Trump I think getting Trump has a chance of getting reelected. Really, I have no idea at this point what <laughs> what that election even looks like. Who would it be against? Oh God, I don't even know. I don't know if we should open that can of worms. We could we could talk on the next. Uh, I'm sorry, in two episodes we should talk about 2020 and just like hash that one we out. We might be able to fit it in the next one. Yeah, may, yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, I I do want to talk about that though because that is going to be very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree, and and 2018 is going to be interesting. The Senate is looking shaky, but, like, the House is going to go so blue. It'll look like the That's Tea Party wave. That's saying right now. It's, and I think Democrats have so much to ride on right now. Mm-hmm. They don't even have to Don't, they don't run have to on put, impeachment. They don't, oh, they, they don't even need to. They don't need yeah. to run on a single yeah. policy. All they have to say That's is... That's good for the Democrats. All they have to say <laughs> is that we're not Trump. Yep. That's all they gotta say, and people will show up. We've already seen how many Democrats have been mobilized right now, just in opposition to Trump. We got the resistance. We have um, all these different protests that are happening seemingly once a week. There are, pe- <laughs> there are people out there uh, protesting anything, um, and, and I think they're gonna show up to the polls because they feel like they need to. And if they don't, they're gonna feel like they've they've wasted all of this time and energy so i i definitely think blue wave is real and i think it's a scary thing and republicans scary thing. you need to get your shit together and find out what your principles are where you stand and how we're going to come back from this so i want to talk about that paul ryan said he wants to finish the term but a lot of people are saying that's an issue because how do you negotiate as speaker as a lame duck and so a lot of people are saying, Paul Ryan, just leave now. Even if you don't leave Congress, just stop being Speaker. Just finish your term, cast a few more votes. Uh, but no, he's not going to raise money as a lame duck, which is one of the most important jobs of a party leader, is to raise money. Um, and he's not going to be able to negotiate with anyone because he's not going to be Speaker anymore. So, for one, who do you think is going to step up in Republican leadership? And then two... If and when Democrats take the House, let's answer this in a few minutes, but Nancy Pelosi, I think, like, I don't think she'll be the next speaker. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Um, and so just to kind of get the wheels spinning on Republican leadership, Kevin McCarthy is as establishment as they come. He's moderate, to some at least, and so, like, a lot of people think he'll never be the next speaker if Paul Ryan were to step down. And so a lot of people are looking to the whip, Steve Scalise, because he's an ideologue. Um, but what do you think? Do you have anyone that you watch in Congress that you think might take over? I, I really can't speculate or really say anything specific. I have I have dreams for who I want 
to lead the Republican who? Party and who I I mean I you know I just I want someone who will basically uh, again I can't get specific but I can just say I want someone who will stand up and say this is what it means to be a conservative this is what it means to be a Republican and for me to listen to that person and say yeah like this is the party that I signed yeah. up for because right now you know, there's people who say, I'm a conservative, but I'm not a Republican. And I Nobody's deeply, proud to be a Republican I anymore. I deeply, deeply sympathize with those people because oftentimes I feel the need to just say, I'm just a conservative. I'm an old school, I'm what you'd call like an old school Republican and a modern day conservative. And right now, Republicans, there's so many different factions. There's so many, it's all the Freedom Caucus. The, there's oh. all kinds of divisions within the party. And I want someone to say, look, guys, this these are our principles. Let's come together on things that we all agree with, we've always stood for, and always will. And let's just let's get our shit together. That's really what it comes down yeah. to. Let's get our shit together, Republican Party. And, okay, so I, I want to talk about Nancy Pelosi then. Let's say the, the Democrats are going to take the House. Unless they have some total screw-up like 2016, they will take the House. Do you think it will be Nancy Pelosi? Or someone else. And you, I'm not going to ask you to name anyone because yeah. you probably don't follow Democrats in the House <laughs> too closely. But, like, who, do you think it will be Nancy? I think there's a, I think there's a big chance that it will be. And to me, that, that's what keeps me up at night, folks. That's Nancy what will keep Democrats Pelosi. from the White House in 2020 <laughs> is letting Nancy Pelosi. I love Nancy. I think she's totally, like, she has given so much crap. She's a genius. And it frustrates me because she's so smart. But with Hillary Clinton out of the picture, sorta, kinda. Uh, well, let's <laughs> okay. But with Hillary Clinton sorta out of the picture, Nancy Pelosi becomes the face of our party. She's our our majority leader in Congress. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I am too. Um, <laughs> but like, I don't think she's what we need because people view her the same way they view Hillary Clinton. They fall asleep when they listen to her. She's so smart, though. I know you don't agree, but <sighs> well, look. I think Democrats have a sim somewhat of a similar problem when it comes to leadership. Like, oh, they're so old, they're so boring. And we're back from a brief bathroom break. What were we, what were we okay, talking about? We were talking about Nancy Pelosi. We were talking about Nancy Pelosi. Oh yeah, Democrat um, leadership. Look, I think they have somewhat of a similar problem to Republicans. They're so... The, the leadership. Old. Boring. Septuagenarians. It's somewhat... Like I'm that. literally falling asleep just thinking about it. Where's the energy? I think the energy is with the younger people. Yeah. As much as I don't like, you know... Cory like, Booker. Cory Booker. Chris You know, like these young people. I mean, I gotta be honest. I mean, those are the future of the um, yeah. Democratic Party. And these old people, uh, what do you think? Do you, do you think there? Do you think it's there's a hard. future for them? Because with with legislating, legislative experience is good. Um, I remember in Virginia, like they said, they lost something like a total of six hundred years of experience in twenty seventeen by the people who were replaced. Some crazy number like that. And like so, like part of me is like these people know how to legislate. But maybe the... Uh, but apparently so did Mitch McConnell, and I'm still... Is he still in Mitch, office? where are you, buddy? He hasn't been in the press very much lately. Yeah, no, he's been... Uh, I mean... <laughs> it's because I can't wake him up. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I. Here's what I think. I think 
I think it's kind of overrated when we talk about like these old school legislators who can work the Washington machine. It's not good from an election standpoint yeah. because people say, what are these people doing? And obviously, it's a lot harder than it looks. I mean, let's be honest. When it comes to legislating, getting an agenda passed, that's hard stuff. You hard. have to really work it the machine. Hard. You have to know Washington inside and out. And people don't really understand that, and that's why we get mad at the establishment. And, and, and a lot of it's justified, I think, to get mad uh, at the establishment and to push them to get an agenda through. But it's not a good look. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And both parties face it. Both yep. parties need to get over it. It's the natural way of things. But I think because of money and politics, uh, it's it's kept a hold right now. I mean, if you saw the amount of money that Nancy Pelosi can raise, like, of course the Democratic establishment doesn't want to get rid of her. But, like, I don't think that's necessarily Nancy Pelosi. I think it's just whoever's in her position. So I don't know. I, I it, it probably is a position thing, but the problem is... The position itself is often, you know, who's been there the longest. Yes, yeah. and guys like guys like Seth Moulton are changing the game. Uh, Seth Moulton's raising almost as much as Nancy Pelosi, and he's not in a position of leadership. He's raising money specifically for Democratic veterans in politics, which I think is really cool because Democrats have always had a problem where military don't see eye to eye with us. Um, and, and so, I, I mean... And also, I think the game is changing because of the fact that now we know that money isn't everything yeah. when it comes to running an election. Just because you're raising more money doesn't mean you're guaranteed to win. That's true. We've se- <laughs> Jeb, exclamation point. <laughs> you have to include that exclamation uh, yeah. mark. I mean, we know that it now comes down to what do the people want? What are we looking for? Uh, that's that's really what it comes down I to. I agree. Um, we left one thing off the outline. I don't know if we have much to say about it. Syria. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it. Mike Pompeo was being... Uh, he had his hearings today, and a lot of the questions they asked him were about Syria. Um, and, and I think that is... That's, like, when we were growing up, Iraq and Afghanistan have been our entire lifetimes. Yeah. But I think Syria could be the next two decades. You think? Yeah. There's... What's going to happen to fix it? I don't know much about the complexities of that issue. Which, it, it's definitely very complex. It I mean, is. You can study this. When it comes to issues like this, like I'm kind of almost uh, worried about talking about it because you can study this up. shit yeah. for years and still, you know, well, and still not know the all Middle the complexities. The Middle East is not like the Western world. Yeah. There's, central governments generally have little to no power. Um, and we often think about how, like, oh, they don't have human rights or something, but it's just, it's different cultures and stuff We also stuff know like that. that regime changes, like, we could take out a horrific dictator, and then you get something like ISIS. I mean, it's so yeah. complicated, and there's, oftentimes there's situations in which there are no good answers, there's yeah. only the lesser of two evils. Well, let's look at Iraq. Saddam Hussein was a horrible guy. Oh, yeah. But look what happened when he got rid of Saddam Hussein. <laughs> yeah. ISIS. Yeah, it, and it's really a complicated situation. And then you look at places like Aleppo, which is just... Uh, <laughs> Who's Aleppo? <laughs> what is Aleppo? You just got horrific situations, um, human rights violations everywhere. It's really complicated, and I'm not even going to pretend to know the nuances and the various aspects of what what we should do about that and i think almost uh 
when it comes to Rand Paul, like, he's sort of taken the easy way out when you say, like, well, we, ju- we just can't get involved with that because, like... You can't ignore that stuff. I, I agree. I agree you can't ignore it. And when you see a blatant human rights... I, I will say this about North Korea, too. When you see something so egregious happening overseas, you cannot ignore yep. it. We need to be, at least to some extent, I, I don't know if you'll agree, but we have to be the moral compass of the world to a certain extent. Yep. It's... it's uh. It's, it's almost an obligation that we have because, I mean, we we cherish freedom. And when we see people who are being blatantly oppressed... Stoning uh, still exists. Yeah. And um, when we see, you know, slavery still existing in North Korea, I mean, it's just absolutely egregious. And it's not something that can be ignored. Um, but we have to find... And, I mean, all these neocons, like... The problem is they didn't just want to try and improve human rights. They wanted to Americanize the rest of the world, which that's where the issue comes. Is not every every part of the world can be like America. It's just not how a lot of places work. So we have to learn how to set standards for human rights in fixed countries without trying to to spread America. Um, and it's hard, and nobody seems to have the answer. I think answer. if you want to Americanize a country, quote-unquote, they have to want it. Yeah, the people the have to, to agree that hey, look, this is a culture we want to be. Yeah, and, and we always look to Japan as um, the country that has been successfully uh, de- well. I-, I would say like democratized, democratized at yeah. least because they still have a very rich culture that's different from America. Um, Germany's a good one too. Right, yeah. I mean, when you look at the successful countries, these are people who wanted it. Yeah. And you can't force it. You can't come in and say, uh, uh, guns blazing and American flag waving and say, don't you guys <laughs> want us? Like, don't you want to be us? That and then people me. will look at you and say, fuck, no, I don't want to be you because we've had, uh, we've had our own history and our own culture that we don't want to get wiped away. And it's a very complicated situation. And you can't just come in after, like, thousands of years of history with people and say hey just become us like yeah. it, it doesn't work that way so all right eddie well this has been a uh, another episode well uh, we need to mention second. something we need hold to hold on a second so next week we have a very special guest very special it's our second guest on the show and probably our biggest guest yet probably the biggest guest we'll ever have uh, until Obama finally answers my phone oh, call and God. stops sending secret you service after me. You have contacts, don't you? You have Trump, too. And also, I, in, the, in that spirit, I want to just thank everyone for their continued support of the of the pod. Yeah. Uh, we have people who have reached out for sponsorships. We do. And we've had uh, just absolutely overwhelming support. We, we never knew that... Uh, people actually gave a shit about listening to two people sit in their dorm room and Do just people rant. listen to podcasts? <laughs> <laughs> I think we now have two viewers besides thanks us. Thanks, Mom and, and Eddie's mom. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, thanks again. Uh, if you do like the podcast, like, just share it with someone yep. you know. Say, hey, if, if, you, uh, if you know someone who disagrees with you on, po- on uh, politics, that this would be a fun podcast to share with them, yep. and then maybe you can talk about it uh, so, yourself. So. so, two final things. We have we do have a special guest on. Uh, your only hint is that it's the queen of all wonks. Queen of all wonks. And then the second thing is, as of today, former speaker John Boehner is officially on the board of directors for a cannabis company. Woo! <laughs>
That's beautiful. So, so times are changing. Times people are changing people quick. care about podcasts and John Boehner. And they like smoking weed. weed. Yep. Jeff Sessions, get on this podcast. We'll roll one up for you, buddy. <laughs> um, Lucas, go wonk yourself. Eddie, go wonk yourself. <laughs>